This episode contains adult language and topics that may be disturbing for some listeners. Such topics include suicide, drug use, physical or sexual abuse of a child. Listener discretion is advised. Hi, I'm Grant. And I'm Erica. And this is From From Crime Crime to to Crime. Crime. Welcome back to From Crime to Crime. Hello. Oh, man. You sound pretty upset. What's going on with you? <laughs> I'm not upset, but I am a little bit upset, yeah. Um. <laughs> ah. Well, this is the perfect place for you to air your grievances, please. Well, I just wasted the last, like, two hours of my life uh, learning about what is called ASMR. Oh, my God. <laughs> Have you heard this shit? Yeah, of course I have. I can't believe you're just hearing about it. But please, this is going to actually be really good. So please give me all of your hate on ASMR. Well, my biggest hate is that I spend how many hours a week editing all the lip smacking and the heavy breathing and the coughing and every time your lips touch your microphone out of our podcast. I'm working on it, okay? Come to find out people fucking like that. That's disgusting. People go nuts for it. Isn't it weird? Oh, Oh, I couldn't. It's just every whispering. Ta- yeah, but every time this girl smacked her lips, I wanted to smack her in the face. I was like, stop it. <laughs> what were you listening to? I was listening to a, I thought, a true crime thing about another story that we're researching. And turns out, no, it was some weird fetish thing people are into with this girl licking her <laughs> microphone. <laughs> but then I was like, what the hell is this? And I had to keep going. So now I know way too much about that. And now I'm pissed because Google I spend. It? Yeah, but now I'm mad because I spend hours every week editing all that shit out of our podcast. And there's people that are literally want to hear that. So I'm like, well, here, have all of our scraps from our podcast. Well, how about this? Don't take anything out from this time. And let's see if we get any comments. Go to our Instagram at From Crime to Crime and leave us some comments if you heard our lip smacking and other kind of nonsense going on. Gross. (laughs) Because Erica hates all of it. I love that you just found ASMR. I hate it. Is that like a thing? And does that say something about my personality? It's totally a thing. Um, It definitely is in line with your personality to hate for sure. I'm not surprised at all. (laughs) Not not in the least bit. Yeah. I am not surprised at all that you hate that. (laughs) All right. Well, let's uh, get into this week because this one's kind of, I don't know. Everybody says it's creepy. I don't think it's that creepy. It's almost like a riddle. I'm pretty sure I've already solved it. So let's tell everybody about it so I can tell everyone how I figured it out. Okay, Vanilla Ice. What's Vanilla Ice have to do with it? Because you solved it. Oh, I'll solve it. Oh, check out the hook while my DJ revolves it? (laughs) Yeah, dummy. Wow. Does that make you my DJ? Are you going to revolve it? Oh, I could. Yeah. I mean, yeah. What's up? All right. So this week's episode, we're going to be talking about room 1046, which sounds more interesting than it really is. It's just like a hotel room in Kansas City. So I'm just kidding. (laughs) All right. So on January 2nd, 1935, a man named Roland T. Owen of Los Angeles checked into the President Hotel in Kansas City, Missouri. He was like 20 or 30, kind of ordinary looking. There was nothing that really like stood out about him, except that he had a huge scar on his head and cauliflower ear. <laughs> and both of those things will definitely make you stand out. So. I know. Every like witness statement that I read where I was like, yeah, he's ordinary looking. I'm like, do you see that scar on his head? <laughs> no, he wasn't. 
<laughs> Do you see his cauliflower ear? <laughs> yeah. So. Should we explain what cauliflower ear is? I mean, you can. I'm not a doctor, so. <laughs> cauliflower ear is just when your ear is basically swelled with fluids and stuff like that from getting pounded too much. A lot of times you see it in wrestlers, you see it in boxers, anything like that. That's why wrestlers wear ear protection a lot of times. It's to stop that from happening. See, I would have explained. I thought it was scar tissue from getting knocked upside the head too much. I didn't know it was like fluid. No, it, it, it can be drained. Yeah, it can be Ooh, drained. Gross. All right. We're done with that. Yeah, it is kind of Let's gross. talk about murder. <laughs> much, much less gross. Yeah. So this man had no luggage, but he was escorted by the bellhop Randolph up to his room and they booked him in room 1046. Why did he need to be escorted to his room if he had no luggage or anything with him? I don't know. I've thought about that kind of a lot. And I feel like it was because maybe that was just their protocol was like everybody was escorted to their room. But the other thing that it could have been was back in 1935, you had to have like a master's degree in engineering to operate an elevator. So maybe they had to escort people to the room to operate the elevators. Oh, wow. I guess that would make sense. Yeah. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like elevators had like a shitload. They had like levers and handles and you had to know like the secret handshake for the handles. (laughs) I guess I didn't really think about that, but that makes total sense on why... He would do that, but yeah, it doesn't necessarily make sense why he would get off with him and walk him into the door. But I mean, it's again, 1935. That's probably just what they were doing. Yeah, it was probably just etiquette. Yeah. So he mentions the Mulebach Hotel on his way up to his room and he was pretty pissed off about it. A lot like you, you with ASMR but <laughs> because they wanted to charge him five bucks a night. And that's why he had moved over to the President Hotel because it was cheaper and he thought that that was a more fair rate for a room. Yeah, he was outraged at five dollars a night. He really was, which I mean, obviously now we would be like. No problem. But yeah, when they get to the room, you know, he kind of starts taking his stuff out. Randolph realizes that he only takes out a hairbrush, a toothbrush and toothpaste out of his coat pocket. That's really all that he had with him. And he checked over the room and then they both left together. And Randolph noticed that the man didn't lock his room. So he's like, hey, I I should go back and lock your room. You didn't lock it. So the man agreed, and then they both left the hotel room. So I don't know. He's going out for the day or something. Then around 2 p.m., a hotel housekeeper named Mary went into the room to do her afternoon rounds. The room was locked from the outside, so she assumed that no one was in there, and she unlocked it with her key and went in. So it was locked from the outside? Yes, And there's a lot of speculation about this on the internet, but the way I kind of understand it, which could be totally wrong because I was not around in 1935, but I don't believe they had like the credit card type keys (laughs) like we have now. (laughs) No, definitely not. I think they had actual keys. So I think it was like a deadbolt on the inside that you could unlock from the outside or a key from the out. Like, do you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't. I do, but... Yeah, the way that it's been explained is that if it's locked from the inside, they can only open it with like a pass key or a master key. But if it's locked from the outside, they can open it with like all the hotel keys. Okay. Does that make sense? And if it's locked from the inside, they can't open it with their regular keys. So I don't know. It's... 
it's very unusual and I don't know if it's things have been lost over time on like how hotel keys worked. But the way it's been explained is that if it's locked from the inside, they can only open the door with like a master key because somebody's in there. We should have asked your locksmith for a husband before we started this. But yeah, probably. Oh, well. So either way, she gets into the room. She thinks nobody's in there and she gets into the room. When she gets in, she's kind of startled because there was a man inside and she didn't expect that. And he was just kind of chilling in the dark. She said he only had one small lamp on in the corner of the room and yet the shades pulled tight and he told her that she could clean and... He talked to her for a little bit. He also bitched about the outrageous prices of the other hotel. (laughs) And then he left and he asked her not to lock the door when she was done because he was expecting someone. So like I said, I feel like these doors, you have to lock them. Otherwise, they're just unlocked. They're just a door. It's not like hotels now where the door automatically locks. Yeah. And that would make sense. Yeah. You know, obviously it's 1935, like locks aren't as, uh, as, <laughs> as far advanced as they're going to be, but should also be noted though, that she said that he seemed a little nervous or anxious while she was in there. Like that kind of plays a part into the story too, but yeah, but she continued still to clean in the dark and, you know, cleaned up and then left and didn't lock the door like he asked. Yeah. So when she comes back around 4 p.m. with clean towels, Roland was laying on the bed fully clothed and awake, which is like not comfortable. I feel like if you're a housekeeper. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. That's definitely a, a weird situation to go into. Yeah. So she set the towels down and she noticed a note on the dresser that said, Dawn, I will be back in 15 minutes. Wait. And she like mentally noted that note and then just scurried out of the room because she was awkward. I think it should be noted, too, that Don was spelled D-O-N, the masculine way, not D-A-W-N, the feminine way. Yeah. And this is a lot of activity in a hotel room. We were talking about etiquette with walking him to the room and stuff. Like the housekeeper's already been there twice in the first day. Like that seems like like why did she come and clean the room right after he checked in? Shouldn't the room have been clean before he checked in? Probably, but again, it's 1935. I don't know that there's etiquette on that kind of stuff. I think it, it might have been like, well, why would we clean it before somebody's in there? You know, and then, <laughs> yeah, maybe. you know, like later on, they're like, hey, we should probably clean this. There's something going to be somebody in here. Yeah, and it does seem that she takes the towels in the mornings and then brings them back in the afternoon. So it's like, may- maybe they don't have a lot of towels. So she has to like take them and wash them and then bring them back. Yeah. Yeah, I kind of thought about that too. And I and I think that that's probably just what it was. You know, probably the first sweep was just straightening things up and then come back around later with, you know, towels and yeah. other things you might need. Yeah. So the next morning, January 3rd, around 10 or 11, she comes back to 1046 again for her regular morning rounds. And she noticed that the door was locked from the outside again. So she assumed that nobody was in there. Which is kind of stupid because twice she's walked in on this guy and been awkward. (laughs) But she does it. Each time she thought nobody was in there. Yeah. But she does it again. And she was startled because there's Roland just sitting in the dark. And he told her it was okay for her to clean. So she did. And she's cleaning up in the dark. And while she was in there, he received a phone call. And of course, she can only hear his end of the call. But she heard him say, no, Don, I'm not hungry. I just had breakfast. No, I'm not hungry. First off. I don't think she should be startled by him being in the dark anymore. Yeah. But that's interesting, though, because obviously, you know, Don is who he was waiting for before, most likely. Right. That was the name on the note. Right. 
So she takes a mental note of this again, and she finishes up her cleaning, and she leaves. When she comes back that afternoon with clean towels again, she heard people, and maybe because she's walked in on him three times now, she decided to knock. (laughs) Yeah, she probably learned. Yeah. Probably learned her lesson, yeah. Yeah, so she decided to knock this time. And from behind the door, she heard a rough voice say, who is it? And then she said, hey, it's me, Mary. I have your clean towels. And the voice said, we don't need any. And Mary was like, startled because she knew there was no towels in the room and this is like her her job man she takes it very seriously obviously she's coming twice a day (laughs) yeah did she note if the if the rough voice was roland's or was it somebody else's is she was she able to make that distinction yeah she said it wasn't she said it didn't sound like him it sounded like a deep rougher voice than his Okay. But Mary, like I said, Mary's real startled because she knows there is no towels in the room and she's kind of freaking out about that. Yeah. But she leaves. She's very concerned about the towels. Yeah. But she, hey, good on her. But she leaves and just whatever. She just says, okay, I guess you're going to be real wet when you get out of the bath. (laughs) So the next morning, January 4th now, between like 4 a.m. and 7 a.m., the switchboard operator named Della noticed that the- Such, an, such a 1935 name. Yeah. Well, also occupation, a switchboard operator. Yeah, very much so too. You're right. Yeah. I guess they go hand in hand. Yeah. So Della gets to work and she notices that the phone was off the hook in room 1046. So she sends Randolph, Randy, the bellhop, to go tell them to hang it up. And when Randy gets to the room, he knocks on the door and knocks and knocks, but it's locked from the inside and he doesn't have a master key, so he can't get in. But eventually somebody calls out, come in, turn on the lights. Well, Randy's like, hey, dude, I can't get in. (laughs) So he just like yells back for the guy to hang up the phone, please. And he leaves. And then a couple of hours later, Della noticed it was off the hook again. So she sent another bellboy named Harold up with a master key because she's like, handle this phone thing, man. Like, just like Mary takes yeah. her towels very seriously, Della's <laughs> like, this phone's got to go back on the hook, man. I think they didn't have any phones or anything extra to like play on. So like they were just really focused on the thing in front of them, which happened to be towels and, and the switchboard. Yeah. So Harry knocked and got no answer. So he let himself in with his master key. And he noticed the man was naked, face down on the bed, and the sheets around him were like kind of dark. And the room was also very dark. But he noticed that the phone stand was knocked over. And so he assumed the man was drunk and had peed himself. And so he picked up the phone stand and hung up the phone, kind of like rolled his eyes and left. He was just like, God, drunks. (laughs) Harold probably sees this quite a bit, you know, like... Probably happens. The phone's off the hook. He has to go in and it's probably not too surprising that somebody is literally pissed drunk. Yeah. So a few hours later, around 1045 a.m., Della noticed again that the phone was off the hook and she is snapping now at this point. She's like, this guy. (laughs) She's going to go up there herself. Yeah. But she doesn't. She sends Randy back up, the first bellboy, the guy who took Roland to his room initially anyway. This time she sends Randy up with a master key, too, because she's like, figure this out. Yeah. Don't come back without this phone being back on the hook. This is a very serious matter. They're real upset about this phone thing, which I don't understand. It's like, if I don't want the phone on the hook in my room, jack off. I Well, I wonder if because of the dial tone, I wonder if it also happened on her end, too. 
you know, like maybe that's why she cared because that dial tone was still causing issues for her. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I don't really know how a switchboard works, so. I can't say that I do either. So when Randy finally gets up to the room, he opens the door and he finds Roland on the floor, a few feet from the door, on his knees and elbows with his head in his hands. Yep, that'll be weird. Yeah. Yeah, Randy's like, what the fuck's going on here? So he flips on the light and he sees the hotel room is covered floor to ceiling in blood. Roland was covered in blood. He was naked with a cord wrapped around his neck. His hands and feet were also bound with cord. Yeah, what a situation to walk into. Obviously, Roland had been beaten, like, severely. Yeah, but Randy freaks out, and he runs out of the room. He slams the door, and he runs back downstairs. They call for help, and when the police and the doctor get there, they go back upstairs, and Roland had collapsed in front of the door, and so they had to, like, push him to get him to like move out of the way so they could even get in the room. Yeah, absolutely. Because when they get in there, they realize that he'd been stabbed several times in the chest. He had a punctured lung, bruises on his face and neck from being beaten and strangled so badly. But they find out later too, he also has a severe skull fracture on top of it. So this guy really got it taken to him. Yeah, he was like tortured. Yeah, no doubt. But he was alive, which was kind of insane. Surprising. Yeah. So when the police and the doctor arrived, they asked, who was there with you? Who did this? And he replied, nobody. Crazy. That is insane. Yeah. There's no way he could have done this to himself. But when they asked him what happened then, if nobody was with you, what the f- what happened here? He said, I fell against the bathtub. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, okay, that might explain the skull fracture, but what about the the chest stabbings? And what about, Yeah, I guess I could explain the bruises and stuff on your face too, but dude, your lung is punctured and you've been stabbed. Yeah. Explain that. And strangled. <laughs> and strangled, yeah. So the police took note of the fact that there was nothing in the hotel room. Not his toothbrush, his hairbrush, his toothpaste, his clothes, no weapons, nothing that he could have used to do this to himself and also no towels because mary was never able to bring the towels back although they probably could have been used right now pretty well yeah so they knew right away that he was lying or covering for somebody because there's no way he could have done this to himself right but they're like well we'll figure this out they rush him to the hospital where he slipped into a coma and he passes away the next day january 5th So according to the police and the doctors, from the injuries and the blood in the hotel room and all that kind of stuff, they estimated that he had been attacked about seven hours before he was found. Wow. So he was attacked, according to them, before the first time Randy checked on him when he finally hollered, come in, turn on the lights, and Randy couldn't get in. Yeah. And when... Harold, the other bellboy, went up and found the darkened sheets and all that. That was probably blood, but he never turned the lights on. Totally. Yeah. Although, I will say, doctors in 1935, like, I'm pretty sure all you had to do to become a doctor in 1935 was just, like, put doctor on your business card. Like, I don't Yeah. I'm not sure how much of a doctor they really were. (laughs) (laughs) This was definitely a lawless land, so you definitely could get away with just putting doctor in front of your name and no one was really checking i think again we weren't there but it seems pretty likely yeah 
But they but they did say because of the way the blood was dried and like that has to take time. Totally. So like I said, they didn't find anything in the room except like a broken glass and a couple of fingerprints that they said were likely female, which I have no idea how they would figure that out. Maybe because they were smaller. Yeah. I don't, like that's what I was thinking, like more they were slimmer, perhaps. Yeah, but I mean I know boys with slim... Look at Tyson's fucking little lady fingers. <laughs> That's why he plays the violin so good. <laughs> so well, but anyway. Okay. Continue. But like, I know like there's boys that have small hands, so I don't know. Yeah, definitely. This seems like an oversight, but they don't have anything, pretty much, is the point of that story. So they get witness statements from other people in the hotel. And a woman in the room next door in 1048 said that she heard loud voices like all night, like a woman and a man talking loudly, arguing, profanity. But there was also a party in room 1055, so it's possible that those voices were coming from the party. Yeah, although, I mean, they're already thinking that there's female Mm -hmm. fingerprints and stuff so yeah all right so then another witness statement was from a man who was driving home from work a couple blocks away and he had picked up a man that kind of flagged him down in the street and wasn't really dressed for january in kansas city like he had pants on and stuff but he just had an undershirt on not even like a button down or anything and he had a deep cut on his arm that he was holding. And he, like, apologized to the guy and was like, oh, I'm sorry, I thought you were a cab. Like, can you take me to somewhere that cabs would be picking people up? And so the guy was like, yeah, of course. Like, you look like you've had a, a bad night, you know, like a rough go of it or whatever he said. <laughs> yeah. And he said that the man didn't really say much. He just stared out the window. And then he did mutter, I'm going to kill that blank tomorrow. But whatever the blank is was like a profanity word. So the newspaper redacted it because they didn't want to print it. So we don't know what he said because the newspaper was like, no, people can't hear profanity. There's lots of good options to put in there, too. So, yeah, we don't know. Well, it could have helped just with trying to figure out gender. Maybe he was talking about a woman. Yeah. Depending what the profanity was, it could have helped narrow down if he was talking about a man or a woman. Yeah, you're absolutely right. That could definitely be a, a huge clue. Yeah. So anyway, that's kind of beside the point. Another witness statement said that the elevator operator reported that the only thing of note he remembered from the night before was a commercial woman that he took to the- That's a nice way to say it. Yeah. You know what's funny? I was reading a lot of stuff on the internet, like on Reddit and like YouTube and different things, and a lot of people were talking about commercial women as like being nicely dressed and like- regal and fancy like a businesswoman i'm like you guys know that's not what that means right they were probably nicely dressed but probably because they had more money than everybody else you know yeah i'm like that world's oldest profession like i don't know every every single thing that i saw they were talking about a commercial woman being like too high end for that neighborhood and too regal and fan and i'm like they're talking about a sex worker definitely i was like maybe i misinterpreted that so i'm glad you thought of it the same way i was like maybe i'm thinking of that wrong uh, I don't think so. So anyway, the only thing that he said that he noted was this commercial woman that he had taken up to the 10th floor and then picked up just a few minutes later because she was supposed to meet somebody in 1026 and they weren't there and she didn't know why. And so some people are kind of like, well, maybe she was supposed to go to 1046, you know, but well, we don't know. But why would she only be there for a few minutes? You know, I mean, because the person wasn't there. She went to room 1026 and nobody was there. 
No, I always thought that, that was like a ruse, like, oh, 1026, but she really wanted to go to 46. I get it now. Okay. Yeah. But a lot of people think maybe she got the numbers mixed up. Maybe somebody told her 1046, but she went to 1026. Right. Okay. But then there's a lot of other reports that she ended up going to the ninth floor for a long time. So maybe she was supposed to go to 926, you know? Yeah. She was looking for that party on the 10th floor. Yeah, so they're getting nowhere with all these loons in the hotel that are just like, I heard this, and I did this, and there was this lady, and blah, and they're like, okay. So they try to focus on notifying his next of kin, because they're like, maybe if we talk to his family, they'll be like, oh yeah, this guy wanted to kill him. Yeah. So they call Los Angeles police, because that's where he said he was from when he checked into the hotel, to track down Roland T. Owen, and LAPD was like, nope, no Rolands in L.A., sorry. Doesn't exist. <laughs> Their database probably wasn't as wide and vast as they thought, <laughs> but nevertheless. Yeah, they said there's no Roland T. Owens here. Sorry about that. So they went back to the hotel that he had been complaining about, <laughs> that he had said that he had stayed the night before. And they figured out that he had stayed there, but under another alias that also wasn't his real name. So they were getting nowhere with his identity either. So they publish his picture in the paper and stuff, and they put his body on display at the funeral home. Yeah, that's weird, but... That's how they did it back then. No one showed up. That's crazy. No, tons of people showed up. And tons of people thought that he was their family member or this or that, but none of them ended up turning out to be those people. Oh. So about a month later, in March, they put an announcement in the newspaper that the funeral home was going to bury Roland in a potter's field as a John Doe, because they didn't know who he was. I actually think it's a popper's field. Nope. Like Prince and the Popper? Nope. It's a Potter's Field. You can look it up. It's a common mistake. Is it not Popper? Because that would no, be really it's not. cool and a much better way to say it. A Potter's Field? It's called a Potter's Field. Uh, well, I hate that. It should be a Popper's Field. I know, but it's not. And those BuzzFeed guys like went on about that for a long time for that to be a miss. <laughs> yeah, that is where I got that. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, I know. <laughs> It's a potter's field. And there's a whole history why it's called that, and it doesn't really matter, and we're not going to get into it. But you can Google it on your own. I am. I know. Damn. I've already, it's already popped up. Yeah, it's a potter's field, right? Uh, a burial place for poppers and strangers. Okay, so it is a potter's field, but it is a place for poppers and strangers. So we're both right. Well, no, I mostly I'm right. <laughs> yeah, I know, but I was trying to salvage it. I know. So after this announcement in the paper, the funeral home gets an anonymous phone call saying they would pay for his burial and that they wanted him buried at a cemetery on the other side of town, like on the Kansas side, not the Missouri side. Yeah. They didn't want him in this potter's field and they were going to pay for the whole thing. And everybody was kind of like, oh, this is kind of weird. Why would somebody pay for somebody's funeral and not tell us who he is? So on March 23rd, though, money showed up, rolled up in a newspaper at the funeral home that covered the entire funeral and burial. What a strange thing. Yeah. Like just, oh, more in papers here. Oh, good. There's $1,000 in here. Yeah. Well, it was like 12 bucks, but yeah. Well, 12 bucks goes really far in 1935, so it's like 1200 so. Yeah, that would have been two nights at that <laughs> crazy expensive hotel. That's true. So No, I actually think it was like 25 bucks. But either way, it doesn't matter. It was enough for the burial. So at the burial, the detectives and everything, all the cops and everybody show up because they want to see who's coming and who paid for this and what's going on. You know, because they're like, we got to figure out who this guy is and who yeah. murdered him. So they're waiting and waiting, but nobody else ever showed up, just the police. But flowers showed up from the Rock Flower Company and they were signed Love Forever Louise. Louise. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. So I've always listened to it again on BuzzFeed and other things. I always thought it was Luis, like L U I S, not Louise. No, I thought it was Luis. So okay, Louise. All right, like the female spelling. Right. Yes. I got gotcha. you. All right. I'm in on it. Then nothing. No leads. No sign of Don. No sign of Louise. Like they have nothing. Or Luis. Yeah. Like there's nothing. At least for about a year. And then in 1936. A woman named Ruby Ogletree saw an article in a weekly magazine about this case and thought that the man looked like her son, Artemis Ogletree. It's a pretty cool name, too. Yeah. Artemis Ogletree. I probably would have changed it to Roland Owen, too. (laughs) Fair. Yeah. So she contacted the authorities and described the scar on his head and explained how he got it in a kitchen grease accident as a small child and the cauliflower ear, the whole thing. And they were like, this is your kid, dude. I mean, she knew everything. So she said that he had taken off from their home in Birmingham, Alabama in 1934 to hitchhike to L.A. with a friend named Joe Simpson. And Artemis was only 17 when he left home. I know that sounds young and it is, but that was kind of standard stuff then, you know, like people took off at 15, 16 and oh, yeah. just went for it. Yeah. But that means he was a little younger a year later when he was murdered than people thought he was. People thought he, you know, he could have been in his 20s or 30s and he was only a teenager. Yeah. It was probably kind of hard to tell with him having a scar across his face and probably didn't help him look, looking super young. Yeah. So she said that he had written her letters every so often after he had left, but the last few that she had received in 1935 were typed. And she described Artemis as a simple boy who didn't know how to type. Yeah, he's probably illiterate. That's pretty simple. Yeah, well, he wrote her letters, so he wasn't illiterate, but he typing was a oh, skill yeah. in 1935, and he didn't know how to do it. Good point, yeah. Yeah, so she's like... I, th- I thought it was kind of weird, these typed letters that I got. And then she also received an anonymous call from a man saying Artemis had saved his life in a bar fight, but lost his thumb so he wouldn't be able to write to her for a while. And then another one that said that he had met an Egyptian woman and was moving to Cairo, like all this crazy shit. Yeah, that's a big move. Yeah, and Ruby was no dummy. She was like, okay, he went from Birmingham to Missouri, and now all of a sudden he's going to get on a on a ship and cruise to Cairo? Like, this doesn't make any fucking sense. Yeah. Yeah, she's like, something's wrong. So the authorities and Ruby concluded that Roland was Artemis. And these last three letters that she got that were typed were after he had died. So he didn't wow. write them. That's interesting. Okay. Yeah. My, a little mind-blowing to me, honestly. Yeah. So from the letters that were from him, they found a few more places that he had stayed, like along his travels and stuff. And one of them was the St. Regis Hotel in Kansas City. And it was found out that he stayed there with another man. And some people believe that this man was Don. But that's really all we got. So this one is rife with theories. Hmm. I definitely have have one. Yeah, because this, sure. because this story is just like... A guy's found dead in a locked hotel room. You know, what happened? <laughs> like, it's literally yeah. a riddle. It is. I I think the obvious ones that can be, you know, talked about is probably he had some kind of, he owed money to somebody. Maybe it was a mob tie or some kind of gambling debt and somebody was after him. Yeah. I the, think that's a fair assumption. Yeah, that's a big theory is that it was mafia related because Don also means like boss. Oh, yeah. In the mob boss, world. Yeah. Yeah. 
So okay. a lot of people go with the mafia related story that he, you know, because there was a lot of rumors that some of those anonymous phone calls with the funeral home said stuff like he got caught up and he was cheating. And some people think that that means like a jilted lover. He was cheating on a woman or he was murdered because of that. But some people think that that means like gambling, like he cheated in a mafia related mm. situation. Which could also be if he was a boxer or a fighter, maybe he was supposed to throw a fight that he ended up winning. Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah. Yeah. That would also help with why he didn't look 18 if he was a boxer or something, some kind of combat sport. Yeah. You know, it takes a toll on you. Yeah. And then the jilted lover thing, you know, there's theories that he maybe cheated on somebody or maybe he was cheating with somebody and the husband found out you know there's that could whatever kind of love triangle that could go a hundred ways yeah my theory kind of ties a little bit into that but it's not quite that i think don and artemis i think they were gay together i think that that's why he was using fake names and went from one hotel to another and stuff like that and kind of waited for him and let him know he was coming back and things like that because i think that they were meeting secretly like romantically yeah romantically yeah and what could have happened or a few different things don could have done it you mm -hmm. know definitely or that jilted lover thing could have come into play maybe he was with a woman and she found out he was cheating on her with a man yeah and then a brother or a dad or somebody in her family or her maybe had something or her yeah. although but i don't think that she necessarily would have done all this i mean not that she although yeah but you don't know her okay it could be her too it's true i don't know her <laughs> um i don't even know if it is a her so yeah. i'll take that yeah 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 maybe and maybe maybe she caught don and artemis together and you know or was watching them or something i don't know but i, I think that that kind of is why maybe he was using fake names and kind of playing that both sides of that you know yeah and keeping everything kind of close to his chest I feel like the fake name thing might be a coincidence. Like, I really feel like if I was around in the days where you didn't have to show ID at a hotel, I don't think I would ever check in under my real name. Really? Yeah. If you could just walk up and be like, I'm Virginia Coffee Bell. Like, <laughs> why wouldn't you? Is is that your stage name, Virginia Coffee Bell? No, but I, but I just came up with that because I was drinking coffee. So oh, <laughs> I don't even know where my, I... My stage name is Taint Burns. Okay, you're gross. <laughs> I don't know. I think maybe that's like unrelated. Maybe he was just like on an adventure and he's like, oh, today I'm going to be Tom Hi. Sawyer. You know, <laughs> like, I mean, I, I definitely think that it could have happened 100%. I don't think it's as likely, though. I, yeah. I don't know. If I was just walking up, I don't. I probably wouldn't think to come up with a name, but I could also see, you know. But you're kind of a like simple you, man. Like, I, so, but I know how to type. Yeah. No, I just, I don't know. I don't disagree with you about, like, my theory is very similar to yours. My theory is just that Don was Joe Simpson, the guy that he left Birmingham with to travel across the country with. Totally could be. Yeah. yeah but why would they both be using fake names to each other? Like, why would he leave a note with Don instead of just, hey, Joe? It'd be one thing if they were on the phone and they were using fake names. I could see that, but... I don't know why he'd leave a note saying Don. Well, I mean, just to keep your cover. I mean, if you are doing this because you really think that you're in danger if people find out. Could be. Just to not yeah. leave evidence and keep your cover. I don't know. Yeah. But I do think that, I mean, obviously we'll never know, but I, I've read a lot of stuff about this Joe Simpson guy on the internet, <laughs> mostly. And yeah. Ruby Ogletree, his mom, 
thought that he had something, something, he knew something because he talked to her after Artemis was even identified and stuff and she just didn't get good vibes and his stories didn't add up about when they separated on their journey and and to me if it was a mafia thing and he threw a boxing match or whatever why would the mafia give a shit about sending his mom letters so that she wouldn't find out he was dead that makes a lot of sense yeah they wouldn't care no like that feels like somebody who knew him and knew that he was close with his mom and felt guilty about what they did. I think the gay theory and the woman found out is a lot more likely now. Yeah. Like, that's why she typed him up. Yeah, maybe. And in 35, women were predominantly the ones who were typing. Yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. So, hmm. Yep. I'm going to go with that. These guys were gay. Somebody found out, and she got pissed and killed him. Yep. That's what happened. I yeah. figured it out. I told you in the beginning I was going to figure this out, and I did. Okay. Columbo, relax. Hey, I'm basically a detective. Just because you have a shirt that says that doesn't mean it's true. Uh-uh. I do not own a shirt. People at CrimeCon did buy those shirts. I did not because I'm cheap and I won't spend that kind of money. Very true. Thank you. All right. Well, I think that about wraps it up for this one. There, It's a wonderful mystery, though. Like, Yeah. And any reason could be the reason. It's We have no idea. And that's kind of what makes this one really interesting to talk about. Yep. If you guys have any theories on this, please come visit us on Instagram at From Crime to Crime. We would absolutely love to hear what you have to say and what your theories are. All right. Well, I love you. I love you too. I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Bye. Bye. Bye.